Lesson 10 for November 26 through to December 2, The Wrath of Elihu. Sabbath afternoon, December 2. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we open your word again, we're coming towards the last month of these lessons on the book of Job, and there are some confusing people in the picture, but we know that you are reliable and you are the one we can put our trust in. And as we study the relationship between these people and Job and you, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us, that your word may speak to us for our individual needs, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let's have that again, Isaiah 55 and verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so it goes. The battle of words between Job and these three men. Words that at times are profound, beautiful, deep and true. How often people will quote from the book of Job, even quotes from Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar, And that's because, as we've seen again and again, they did have a lot of good things to say. They just didn't say them in the right place, at the right time, in the right circumstances. What this should teach us is the powerful truth of these texts in Proverbs chapter 25, verses 11 through to 13. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver, like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. Like the cold of snow in time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. Unfortunately, those weren't the words that Job was hearing from his friends. In fact, the problem was going to get worse because instead of just three people telling him he's wrong, a new one comes on the scene. Sunday, November 27, Miserable Comforters Even after Job's powerful expression of faith in Job 13, chapter 15 and 16, the verbal sparring continued. Over the course of many chapters, the men go back and forth, arguing many deep and important questions about God, sin, death, justice, the wicked, wisdom, and the transient nature of humanity. Question. What truths are being expressed in the following texts? First of all, we'll look at Job chapter 13 and verse 28. Man wastes away like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. And Job chapter 15 verses 14 to 16. What is man that he can be pure, or he who is born of a woman that he can be righteous, Behold, God puts no trust in his holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in his sight. How much less one who is abominable and corrupt, a man who drinks injustice like water. And Job nineteen twenty-five to 27 
For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last day he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. If you say how we will pursue him, and the root of the matter is found in him, be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. And Job 28, verse 28. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Through all these chapters, the arguments continued, neither side conceding its position. Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar, each in his own way, each with his own agenda, didn't let up in the argument about how people get what they deserve in life, and thus what came upon Job had to be just punishment for his sins. Job, meanwhile, continued to lament the cruel fate that had befallen him, certain that he did not deserve the suffering. Back and forth they sparred, each comforter accusing Job of utterly empty and vain words, and Job doing the same to them. In the end, none of them, including Job, understood all that was going on. How could they? They were speaking from a very limited perspective, which all humans have. If we can get any lesson from the book of Job, one that should be obvious by now, especially after all the speeches of these men, it is that we as humans need humility when we profess to talk about God and the workings of God. We might know some truth, maybe even a lot of truth, but sometimes, as we can see with these three men, we might not necessarily know the best way to apply the truths that we know. And so, to finish today, look around at the natural world. Why does this alone show us how limited we are in what we know about even the simplest of things? Monday, November 28, the entrance of Elihu. From Job chapter 26 to chapter 31, the tragic hero of this story, Job, gives his final speech to the three men. Though eloquent and passionate, he basically repeats the argument he has been making all along. I do not deserve what has been happening to me, period. Again, Job represents much of humanity in that many people suffer things that they don't deserve. And the question, in many ways the hardest question of all, is why? In some cases, the answer to suffering is relatively easy. People clearly bring the trouble on themselves. But so often, and especially in the case of Job, that's not what happened. And so the question of suffering remains. In chapter 31... As it comes to a close, Job has been talking about the kind of life he led, a life in which nothing he had done justified what was happening to him now. Then the final verse of the chapter reads, Job 31:40, The words of Job are ended. 
Question. Read Job chapter 32, verses 1 through to 5. What is happening here, and what is Elihu's charge against Job and the other men? So these three men ceased to answer Job, because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Bazite, and the family of Ram, burned with anger. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. He burned with anger also at Job's three friends because they had found no answer, although they had declared Job to be in the wrong. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, he burned with anger. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite, answered and said, I am young in years, and you are aged. Here is the first time that this man Elihu is mentioned in the book of Job. He obviously heard some of the long discussions, though we are not told just when he appeared on the scene. He must have come later because he was not mentioned as being with the other three when they first came. What we do know, however, is that he wasn't satisfied with the answers he had heard during whatever part of the dialogue he did hear. In fact, we're told four times in these five verses that his wrath had been kindled over what he had heard. For the next six chapters, then, this man Elihu seeks to give his understanding and explanation of the issues that all these men confronted because of the calamity that struck Job. And so, to finish the day, Job 32 verse 2 said that Elihu was angry with Job because he justified himself rather than God. A distortion of Job's true position. What should this tell us about how we need to be careful in the ways that we interpret the words of others? How can we learn to try to put the best construction rather than the worst on what people say? Tuesday, November 29, Elihu's Defense of God A lot of commentary has been written over the ages about Elihu and his speech, some seeing it as a major turning point in the direction of the dialogue. Yet, it's really not that easy to see where Elihu adds anything so new or so groundbreaking that it changes the dynamic of the dialogue. Instead, he seems largely to be giving the same arguments that the other three had done in their attempt to defend the character of God against the charge of unfairness in regard to the sufferings of Job. Question. Read Job chapter 34 verses 10 through to 15. What truth is Elihu expressing here? How do they parallel what the other men have said before? And though his words were true, why were they inappropriate for the current situation. Job 34, beginning at verse 10. Therefore hear me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should be wrong. For according to the work of a man he will repay him, and according to his ways he will make it befall him. Of a truth, God will not do wickedly, and the Almighty will not pervert justice." Who gave him charge over the earth, and who laid on him the whole world? 
if he should set his heart on it, and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together, and man would return to dust. Perhaps what we can see with Elihu, as with these other men, is fear. The fear that God is not what they think him to be. They want to believe in the goodness and the justice and the power of God, and so what does Elihu do but utter truths about the goodness, the justice, and the power of God? In chapter 34, verses 21 and 22, For his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. And in chapter 36, verses 5 through to 7, Behold, God is mighty but despises no one. He is mighty in strength of understanding. He does not preserve the life of the wicked, but gives justice to the oppressed. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but they are on the throne with kings, for he has seated them forever, and they are exalted. And in chapter 37, verses 23 to 24. As for the Almighty, we cannot find him. He is excellent in power, in judgment, and abundant justice. He does not oppress. Therefore, men fear him. He shows no partiality to any who are wise of heart. If all this is true, then the only logical conclusion one must draw is that Job is getting what he deserves. What else could it be? Elihu, then, was trying to protect his own understanding of God in the face of such terrible evil befalling such a good man as Job. So to finish today, have you ever faced a time when something happened that made you fearful for your faith? How did you respond? Looking back, what might you have done differently? Wednesday, November 30, The Irrationality of Evil All four of these men, believers in God, believers in a God of justice, found themselves in a dilemma. How to explain Job's situation in a rational and logical manner that was consistent with their understanding of the character of God. Unfortunately, they ended up taking a position that turned out basically wrong in their attempt to understand evil, or at least the evil that befell Job. Ellen White offers a powerful comment on this regard. It is impossible, she writes in The Great Controversy, pages 492 and 493, to explain the origin of sin so as to give a reason for its existence. Sin is an intruder, for whose presence no reason can be given. It is mysterious, unaccountable. To excuse it is to defend it. Could excuse for it be found, or cause be shown for its existence, it would cease to be sin. End of quote. Though she uses the word sin, suppose we replace the word with another word, one that has a similar meaning, evil. Then the quote could read, It is impossible to explain the origin of evil so as to give a reason for its existence. Evil is an intruder, for whose presence no reason can be given. It is mysterious, 
unaccountable, to excuse it is to defend it. Could excuse for it be found, or cause be shown for its existence, it would cease to be evil. End of quote. So often, when tragedy strikes, people will say or think, I don't understand this, or this doesn't make sense. This is precisely what Job's complaint had been about all along. There is a good reason that Job and his friends can't make sense of it. Evil itself doesn't make sense. If we could understand it, if it made sense, if it fit into some logical and rational plan, then it wouldn't be that evil. It wouldn't be that tragic because it would serve a rational purpose. Question. Look at these verses about the fall of Satan and the origin of evil. How much sense does his fall make? Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through to 17. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, emerald and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings on the day that you were created. They were prepared." You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire." Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. Here's a perfect being created by a perfect God in a perfect environment. He's exalted, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, covered in precious stones, an anointed cherub who was in the holy mountain of God. And yet, even with all that, and having been given so much, this being corrupted himself and allowed evil to take over. What could have been more irrational and illogical than the evil that came to infect the devil? And so to finish today, what is your own experience with how irrational and inexplicable evil is? Thursday, December 1. The Challenge of Faith Certainly the primary characters in the book of Job, as mere mortals seeing through a glass darkly, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13.12, were working with a very limited perspective, a very limited understanding of the nature of the physical world, much less the spiritual one. Interesting, too, that in all these debates about the evil that befell Job, 
None of the men, Job included, discussed the role of the devil, the direct and immediate cause of all of Job's ills. And yet, despite their own confidence about how right they were, especially Elihu, their attempts to explain Job's suffering rationally all fell short. And of course, Job knew that their attempts failed. Elihu, in chapter 36 of Job, and verses 1 to 4, said, And Elihu continued and said, Bear with me a little, and I will show you, for I have yet something to say on God's behalf. I will get my knowledge from afar, and ascribe righteousness to my Maker. For truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Question. Even with our understanding of Job's cosmic background, how well are we able to rationalize and explain the evil that befell Job? Read Job chapter 1 through to chapter 2 verse 10 again. Even with all this revealed to us, what other questions remain? Job chapter 1 beginning at verse 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings, according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were ploughing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell among them, and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another who said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another 
and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. With the opening chapters of Job before us, we have a view of things that none of these men did. Nevertheless, even now the issues remain hard to understand. As we saw, far from his evil bringing this suffering to him, it was precisely Job's goodness that caused God to point him out to the devil. So the man's goodness and desire to be faithful to God led this to happen to him. How do we understand this? And even if Job had known what was going on, wouldn't he have cried out, Please God, use someone else, give me back my children, my health, my property. Job didn't volunteer to be the guinea pig. Who would? So how fair was all this to Job and to his family? Meanwhile, even though God won his challenge with the devil, we know the devil had not conceded defeat. So what was the purpose? And also, whatever good ultimately came out of what happened to Job, was it worth the death of all these people and all the suffering that Job went through? If these questions remain for us, though many more answers are coming, imagine all the questions that Job had. And yet, here's one of the most important lessons we can take from the book of Job, that of living by faith and not by sight, that of trusting in God and staying faithful to Him, even when, like Job, we cannot rationalize or explain why things happen as they do. 
We don't live by faith when everything is fully and rationally explained. We live by faith when, like Job, we trust and obey God even when we cannot make sense of what is happening around us. And so to finish today, what are the things you have to trust God for even though you don't understand them? How can you continue to build that trust even when you don't have answers? Friday, December 2. In a discussion concerning the question of faith and reason, author John Hedley Brooke wrote about the German philosopher Immanuel Kant, who lived from 1724 to 1804, and his attempt to understand the limits of human knowledge, especially when it came to the working of God. For Kant, the question of justifying the ways of God to man was one of faith, not of knowledge as his example of an authentic stance in the face of adversity, Kant chose Job, who had been stripped of everything save a clear conscience. Submitting before a divine decree, he had been right to resist the advice of friends who had sought to rationalize his misfortune. The strength of Job's position consisted in his knowing what he did not know, what God thought he was doing in piling misfortune upon him. And that's from Science and Religion, page 207 and 208, published in 2006. These men in the book of Job, and now Elihu, thought they could explain what happened to Job in a simple cause-and-effect relationship. The cause was Job's sin. The effect was his suffering. What could be more clear-cut, theologically sound and rational than that? However, their reasoning was wrong. A powerful example of the fact that reality and the God who created and sustains that reality do not necessarily follow our understanding of how God and the world he created work. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for this week. One, as we saw, in all the long speeches about poor Job's situation and why it happened, the devil was not once mentioned. Why is that so? What does it tell us about how limited these men were in their understanding despite all the truths that they had? What could that ignorance teach us about our own despite all the truths that we have? And two... Ellen White wrote in Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 100 and 101, When we take into our hands the management of things with which we have to do and depend upon our own wisdom for success, we are taking a burden which God has not given us and are trying to bear it without his aid. But when we really believe that God loves us and means to do us good, we shall cease to worry about the future. We shall trust God as a child trusts a loving parent. Then our troubles and torments will disappear, for our will is swallowed up in the will of God. End of quote. How can we learn this kind of trust and faith? That is, what choices are we making now that will make our faith even stronger or weaker?
Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled Doing God's Business, Part 1. This story is not about me. It's about what God is doing through me and what He can do through anyone who's willing to let Him use them. I've always loved business. I founded my first company selling computers to schools when I was 21. From the beginning, God was my partner, and he has blessed me so much. Later, I bought a software franchise that grew fast. In five years, it grew from one employee to 50 and earned a lot of money. I gave a lot to missions, but I felt empty. Over time, I realized that although I was supporting the church's mission, I wasn't personally involved in mission myself. My wife and I agreed that we needed to be a part of God's outreach to humanity. Our business interests continued to grow, but I felt God leading me to sell the biggest company. I left the sale in God's hands, and the company sold quickly for more than I had expected. I knew that God doesn't need my money, but I began to realize that what God wants from me is my time. Mission isn't something we do on Sabbath, it's something we do full-time. I wanted to be personally involved in mission, so I asked God what I wanted, what He wanted me to do for Him. One day, as I was talking with a fellow Christian businessman, a member of Adventist Layman Services Industries, ASI, I told him about my burden to be personally involved in an evangelistic mission project. I didn't care what the project was, I just wanted to be in God's hands. I asked if he had any ideas for such a project. He said that he'd think about it. Just then his phone rang and he excused himself to take the call. When he returned, he told me that the call was from a church leader who told him about a project that's in a country that isn't open to evangelism. As he told me about the project, I realized that God was answering my prayer. The project was in a country I was familiar with. I knew the language and the culture of the people in that country, and as a businessman, I could help the church leaders make it happen. I knew that I could travel there, a place that many others wouldn't be able to enter. And this story will be continued next week as our inside story, and I just wonder who this person is. I have no idea. This lesson was recorded on board ship between Boston, where I met some lovely people who listen to this lesson each week, and New York. God bless you, and have a great Sabbath. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.